I could not be more excited to finally bring back the quarterback Q&A podcast. And what a time of year to do it. It is December. The holidays are approaching. State champions are being crowned all across the country, which also means quarterbacks all over the country are about to transition into their offseason. So no better time to reset the quarterback development landscape and give quarterbacks and their parents and their coaches specific things to focus on to get the most out of their off-season training and development. So if we're going to do all that, then there's no better guest to bring back to the podcast than my good friend, Will Hewlett. And I'm warning you guys right now that this is the Joe Rogan episode of this podcast. It's just me and Will for two hours diving into everything there is to talk about in the QB development space. So we talk about off-season training. We talk about specific coaching cues of the throwing motion. We talk about techniques that are vital to a quarterback's success. We hit on arm care. We discuss the most important thing quarterbacks should be focused on this offseason. We hit on recruiting. We talk about youth football. We get into the specific situation of having kids that are quarterbacks and how to maneuver that landscape as both a dad and a coach trainer. Of course, we get into Brock Purdy and his draft prep process and what to expect going forward with the 49ers. So buckle up, come with us on this two-hour ride, break it into segments if you have to. But man, there's a ton of great stuff there. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Here we go, Will Hewlett. All right, so super excited because it's my first ever repeat guest, you know, on the QBQA podcast. Um, and obviously the first guest we ever had and we did it. So when it was time to get this thing going again, and because of the timing of the year and we're heading into the off season, nobody better to get on than Will Hewlett. So Will, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you back, dude. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me back on. I'm I'm glad that I, you know, uh, have, have, I'm still in that that class of coaches that's uh, deserving of of an invite. So I appreciate it, my, my man. Well, well, whether you know it or not, you've been the most listened to episode that we've ever done as well. So that's pretty cool. For okay. a while, I figured, well, he was the first one. So maybe there's just more time for people to listen. But now we're going on. I don't know. It's probably been almost two years since that first one. And, uh, you know, still well in the league. So Pretty impressive. I think it's like awesome. 10,000 listings or something ridiculous number that we wouldn't have expected, you know, when I kind of started doing this a little while ago. So super cool. People love you. And I uh, can't wait to get into some stuff quarterback wise, awesome. development wise. I think we have to lead off with what is probably the big topic. If you're talking right. about Will Hewlett and guys, Will Hewlett trains is Brock Purdy, right? And obviously yeah. getting his chance and going in on Sunday and, and, and taking over and getting a big win for the 49ers. And so, Let's take people back because you met him getting really talk me through it, kind of leading yeah. into draft prep or right before draft prep. What's your what was kind of the, the when you first met and started to work together? Yeah. Um, and I, I was I was aware of Brock. I think he had a really unique recruiting story uh, that that I was aware of. He wasn't aware of me, but I was aware of him just because of regionally where I was located in Northern California at the time. Um and and that these coaches are going to hate me. But I remember San Jose State at the time, whoever was the staff there, passed on Brock Purdy because he was too small. Um, 
um maybe i wonder if they're still uh in that area hanging out watching niners games that's that'd be funny wouldn't it but um i i, I just thought it was crazy i was like because you know being a local area guy at the yeah. time it's like why you know why would you why would you miss on this guy um and so he ended up at iowa state obviously and you know started 40 50 plus games i think and, sure. and um, had an alabama offer late in the process too um so i just find this some irony there but our first actual meeting was on a um on a little zoom meeting um kyle strong and an agent that i work with uh one of the you know widely respected um player agents player and coach agents in in, in the um the nfl arena um hey you know hit me up was like hey man we, we got this uh little presentation if you could for um brock purdy i was like oh man that's, that's a guy i'd love to work with um so myself and uh uh dr tom gormelli from uh torque um which is a performance partner that we work with um you know we've we, we do everything together in terms of the draft prep and, and annual and, and yearly development with our quarterbacks we jumped on a zoom um and and brock was on there and we got a chance to really you know, kind of just break down what we did and how we did it. It was our first interaction ever meeting. Um, uh, but we kind of get, you know, gave him kind of the options of, and, and the the explanation of how we approach the process and some of the things that we feel like are important and, and based on his experience, some of the things we wanted to work on. Um, and, and from there, you know, he had to work through a couple of decisions in terms of who he wanted to go with, but he thought it was like a really good fit. And, and, uh, the rest is kind of history. And for people that don't know, you mentioned Kyle Strong. I mean, Trevor Lawrence's agent, correct? Right. So right. probably yep. the big name you affiliate with. So a guy certainly in the quarterback, you know, agent space, if you will. But um, so I, it's funny because I, you know, you and I talk so much. And as we get close to draft prep, we're always kind of like, hey, what's your plan? What are you working with? What are some of the yeah. guys here? So I remember early on kind of getting word that you were going to be working with Brock. And, and I think at that point, I probably saw maybe his bowl game, his last bowl game at the end of the season. And and then he was in the Shrine Bowl as well, Will. Is that correct? Yep. 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 Gotcha. So in that in those first couple like on the field months, right? As you yeah. he finishes his season, you see him play the bowl game, you start preparing him for for the Shrine Bowl, and then obviously the rest of the draft process. What jumped out and what were some maybe first things you wanted to attack from his development standpoint? Yeah. Well, I, I, I was a fan of his game, um, just in terms of his gameplay. I went down, it was the Clemson bowl game. Um, and uh, um, I think it was, uh, you know, Iowa State ended up losing that game. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Iowa State. Um, Coach Campbell and the staff out there, I think, do a phenomenal job. Sure. Um, and it was a tough game. And, you know, athletically a, a mismatch um, in terms of Clemson versus Iowa State, um, as it should be at that time. But Brock yeah. really battled. Um he did have one of the most interesting interceptions I've ever seen. I don't know if you remember that. It was like he got batted up and he tried to catch it and it got picked oh, up. Oh, yeah, bizarre. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so this, it didn't end necessarily the way he wanted to, but he was ready to roll uh, three days later. I believe it was three days because um, the, the the bowl game was in in um, Orlando. Um, and so we're based out of, you know, the Jacksonville, Ponte Vigia area sure. um, in Florida. So we're a couple hours away. So he took some time with his family and then um, shot up here. And so the way our process works, um, you know, we've got kind of like three stages, depending on what type of athlete we have. Um, you've got your bowl game uh, preparation, combine preparation, and then pro day preparation, right? And and so we have these, you know, little peaks and valleys as, as um, you know, where the training has to change and, and adapt and, and the focus point. And, you know, the combine and pro days, as you know, very well, it's a orchestrated 
you know, it's a dance recital, right? They know what they have to do. You have the answers to the test. Yeah. Um, the bowl game is is still football. Um, and, and you're going to be there with a bunch of other quarterbacks that, you know, staff members from different teams um, and East West Shrine and the senior bowl, are kind of the two premier, um, you know, all-star games. And so if you get an invite to those, you, you know, you're probably going to go to the combine and you got a very good chance of getting drafted. Um, so initially um, through some 3d motion capture um, we use a, a, a company biometric uh, with Chris Hess and, and they kind of break down and, and the motion capture essentially allows you to get data points on all the little things that you can measure anything you want, right? Like the, sure. the, 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 the speed of degrees per second that the hips rotate in relation to the, the trunk and the torso and, and where, you know, where the body leans and, you know, how much, ex, you know, external rotation you have in the arms, so all these little, little fancy things you can measure. And what it does is it just, it puts, um, it confirms what you're seeing or, or, you know, argues what you're seeing. So you make sure you're, you're, you're working on the right things. You know, we're not wasting sure. time going like, okay, because the, the draft process, as you know, is you've got a very small window to make as many improvements as possible without disrupt. Yeah. You, you don't want to disrupt their, like their playmaking bill. You don't want them thinking about like, Oh, my arm, is it off? You know, is it so for Brock, it was just really establishing, um, you know, a, a better understanding of his own mechanics. Um, you know, he was very like a, a, a very quad dominant athlete, um, which a lot of college guys are because they just squat a lot in college. You know, we had to really have him uh, help him understand how to use his hips better, um, you know, work with his cleats in the turf a little bit better as uh, a good term. I think people use, you know, he's kind of on his yeah. toes a little bit too much. Um, and then from a gameplay standpoint, his tendency at Iowa State, which made him a lot of big plays, but you know, put him in positions that were a little bit um, difficult, you know, it's going to put him in, the, in a difficult position at, in, at, a, uh, at the next level, you tend tend to like regress and backpedal out of the pocket to extend plays a lot. And so sure. we're get away with it and still make amazing plays. We really had an emphasis in our training of, of being aggressive up in the pocket, um, yeah. you know, and being a guy that's, you know, six foot one, um, if that, um, you know, you got to be able to find those throwing lanes. He had a really high level of creativity to his game. Um, he measured at a, at a very high level on a, a, a cognition test. We work with a company named S2 um, yep. based out of Nashville. They do a fantastic job. And and Brock's scores were, were excellent, um, like NFL starter excellent. And so based on that information, we help, you know, kind of um, craft the training from a, a cognition standpoint, from a, a learning standpoint, and then from a physical standpoint. So, you know, he wanted to clean up some little things in his release. It's hard to work on stuff in college. You're just constantly grinding. You're focused on the game. And so it was his first opportunity to really, you know, jump in and, and get better at, at the little things. Um, and uh, it went really well for him. All right. Well, so obviously gets drafted by the 49ers is going to be Trey Lance is backup. They're going to go with Trey, feel very comfortable with Brock at number two, right? Jimmy was kind of, you know, maybe looking to go somewhere else or, or get traded. Obviously, they keep Jimmy, but then Trey gets hurt, and, and they're very comfortable once again with Brock being the number two to Jimmy. And you could tell the 49ers organization thinks highly of him. He had a really good preseason. So as 49ers fans of NFL fans watching Brock go forward now, as you close out the season and makes this playoff push and into the playoffs, what do you expect to see from Brock? What are some things that fans should be looking for in his game? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, um, I think if we set our expectations the right way, um, obviously still a rookie 
you know, there's going to be mistakes that are made. Um, but the kid's a gamer. I don't know if you've seen any of his press conferences or just the way he handles himself. Um, he's not going to be, um, he's not going to be intimidated by the situation. He's going to prepare, you know, he prepares, uh, you know, tirelessly anyway. Um, but I think what you're going to find is, again, with the Shanahan system, that style of football, it's, it's very much driven to support the quarterback. Um, and, you know, with, with, you know, the wide zone, the play action, the shots, and then the quick game. So as long as he manages what he has to do pre-snap and then just focuses on, you know, just moving the chains post-snap, he doesn't, he, he doesn't have to win the game, right? He's going to have to just, um, you know, keep him ahead of the chains and, and, uh, and, and keep, keep things going the right direction. Uh, I think you're going to find that he's going to be able to do that on a pretty consistent level. The nice thing about Brock is if you watch his gameplay too, he is very, very creative in terms of, um, you know, the play that's called and the play that actually happens. So he has a tendency to be able to get um, himself out of trouble at times um, with his uh, athleticism within and outside the pocket. Crafty, like he's one of those kind of crafty athletic quarterbacks, um, you know, that, that didn't necessarily run a, a, an elite 40 time, but he knows how to move and manipulate his body to, to make plays and big throws and big moments. Yeah, sure. And like you said, I think the coolest thing this week has been hearing all his teammates talk about him and how much confidence they have his ability and how he's kind of, you know, the impression he's made on them in practice. You know, how, how much of that goes to, like you said, being a four-year starter, having all that experience in college where you're just more prepared to, to kind of own the moment? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the if you're drafted – you know, in the fourth round and, and above that, you know, fourth through seventh or priority free agent, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you're going to have to have, you definitely have other traits that I think that are desirable um, because there's going to be, you know, highly athletic quarterbacks out there that, um, you know, that aren't drafted, aren't picked up. I think when, when Brock was, you know, he's one of those guys that interviewed extremely well. Um, I think a lot of organizations really enjoyed his interview process how he approaches the game um and i think what you find is that a guy like that who can be the number two on a team right away like they didn't go get a veteran quarterback because that's the risk right you get drafted um uh, in in those final three rounds there's a good chance that if you make the team then you have you know um they're going to be a, another veteran available and, and jimmy was kind of what that was but sure he was still the number two um and then the injury happens to trey um, and obviously you could tell in the, you know, in this game when he went in for, for Jimmy um, as, as the backup to, to Garoppolo, um, his teammates rallied around him. He's kind of like a fiery guy. You can see him after he threw that first touchdown, how excited he got. He just loves the game. Um, and I think that rubs off on, on, on your teammates. They see that, they respect that. I think it's important as a quarterback. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be like, uh, liked, you have to be respected, but if you're liked as well and respected, it makes it a lot easier for guys to rally behind you and, and really have, have belief. And uh, he did, yeah. man. He, he won in a very difficult situation and um, made plays when he needed to. No, no doubt. Like I said, just from that one game, feels like a lot to be excited about. And, you know, I know we'll be uh, kind of all pulling for him here as they go forward. So as we move off from Brock and obviously get into what we're thinking about now with our high school, college quarterbacks. And, and that's the off season, the off season development. So before we even get into it, let's talk about this. When, when should guys kind of start training again? Like, how do you think about 
maybe how much time a quarterback needs to take off from the end of the season to start training. You know, we're, we talk about arm care and things of that nature. Kind of what's your overall viewpoint on when quarterbacks should start up or how much time they need to take off? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think, um, I, I think it varies from situation to situation and in terms of like age group, um, I think you have to analyze essentially what, 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 what does the entirety of the year look like? Is the athlete playing another sport? Um, are they going to be basketball? Are they going to be football? I'm sorry, uh, baseball track. Um, you know, is it a youth athlete? And I think once you get into a certain age group, you know, generally high school and up and some of the seventh and eighth graders, you know, the body's changing rapidly, right? We're getting stronger. Um, but there's always a, there's a, there's a lag between the strength of like increase, increase in strength in terms of your muscles and explosiveness and maybe your joints and ligaments. And so I think that's where you see a lot of, um, you know, a tendency to see in, in throwing athletes, a lot of joint and, and, and tendon and ligament issues because there's too much stress put on the athlete um, from an in, incorrect, you know, poorly managed um, throwing program. So for quarterbacks, um, if they're just a, a, if that's their only throwing activity, you know, it, it, it used to be kind of one of those things where um, we kind of just arbitrarily throw out some numbers out there like, hey, you know, take three months off or take six months off or don't pick up a football or, or on the flip side, you know, never stop throwing. You got to throw every single you know, it's, it's a, it's a year long job if you want to be great. Um, generally what, what's helped me is being around the baseball community and understanding that world and how the arm operates and then having experience with certain levels of quarterbacks. Um, one of the most simple rules to follow is essentially time off. So if you take one month off, um, your on-ramp to get back to hundred percent is going to take at least a month to get back to that stage. Right? So if you take three months off, it's going to take three months to kind of get back into um, your peak condition, if that makes it sense. Is. So you 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 yeah. end the season, right? So you end the season uh, in high school. Let's say we're talking about high school, even college. You know, you've got your fall camp. You've gone through summer throwing, fall camp. You really haven't start stopped throwing for a lot of guys since spring, and then you shut it down, right? And so if you shut it down for a week um, and then try to pick it back up to like a five days a week, you know, uh, throwing program. Um, your body's going to be like, whoa, hold up, you know, what, what are we doing here? And, and, and then that results in, in irritations and, and inflammation in areas that um, you don't want. It's kind of one of those things where as an elite thrower, you're always kind of managing, you know, uh, the, the tendons and, and uh, the, the, the necessary, um, you know, muscle groups in your arm. You know, it's probably never going to be 100%. Uh, in the baseball world, those guys are always dealing with a little bit of discomfort, um, but it's understanding what kind of discomfort it is and what it's caused from. It's just like anyone that like, you know, us old guys going for a jog, you know, if we go out there and try to run five miles. We're going to be in a lot of pain the next day and, and beyond that probably going to create some injuries. So being careful about how much time you're taking off and then how much time you take to get back into shape and then having a protocol, a program to do that. And I think at the simplest form, you can, you can essentially train year round for quarterback. Um, I just think you have to be careful with the volume of how often you're throwing a football in the off season. You know, there's, there's probably a way to manage it. You want to definitely do want to back off um, and it's okay to take some time off. It, it really is. It's just, when you get back into it, you don't want to go from zero to hundred. You know, you want to make sure we manage that, that kind of process, getting back, back ready to, to, uh, to throw it at a high, high level. 
No, and 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 the individualized approach is is what makes the most sense, right? Because the reality is, all these quarterbacks, their environment and their situations are different, right? Like some guys were the freshman quarterback or the JV quarterback who didn't throw a lot during the season, so they probably don't maybe need the rest or maybe they need more ramp up time sure. than a guy who just finished the state championship game or a youth quarterback that practices twice a week and runs every play on on the games is different than you know your varsity or your college starter and then Absolutely. you know some guys maybe want to take a month off but they got seven on seven tryouts in two weeks right and then yeah. the seven on seven season starts and spring football and all these other different pieces of it um yeah it's like it would be nice if Everybody, you know, ending in December and then no football happened again to July. Think about the NFL schedule, yeah. you know, where you have this very set, like kind of, you know, you can almost in phases handle each part of your development that Absolutely. way. But it, at the high school and youth level, there's like more distractions that the quarterbacks have to navigate, right? Well, and that's that. That's the irony. I always, I, I try to portray to the over-enthusiastic parents and and people that want that more is better mentality, especially early on, um, you know, it's in the social media world, it's trying to build a following and, and um, have content. And then, you know, we're going to get you good. And the over-specialization of, of, of the youth athlete is still an issue. I think what I always try to tell people, I'm like, listen, if, if, if you know, the, the year round competitive mode of thinking, right. So, I get there's there's opportunities for youth athletes and and you know there could be all star games and and um, you know uh, whatever it is it's it's club football um, travel football um, if if spring football even in high school like I'm just not a proponent you know I think spring football should be eliminated nationwide I think the focus should be on other sports health and recovery and and would it dampen development that much? I don't think so. Um, you know, it's just kind of one of those deals It's because everybody does it then in one state, then it ha you have to do it. If you don't do it, you're going to get left behind. Sure. But this is, you know, there's this constant need to, um, you know, fear of missing out drives a lot of what these parents feel like they have to do. Um, you know, and listen, like my, my son, who's, who's a quarterback, um, you know, a, a sophomore quarterback is, is going to start seven on seven in, in January, you know, and um, start actual competing in January. And, and it's something he wants to do. It's like, you know, but is it ideally where you want to have it? No, but it's just the nature of the beast. And, and, it, and, it, and it's a, a part of the process in terms of, you know, helping quarterbacks build some notoriety, you know, work with some teammates and have some fun at the same time. Um, and he's going to manage his arm correctly. So he's ready for it and it's not going to get burnt out. Uh, but if you're a young quarterback and all you ever do is compete, 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 you know, when do you work on your craft? When do you have time to develop? Uh, and then that's where I think, you know, injuries occur. I mean, I've had so many stories of, you know, hey, we've got to go to this, you know, something or rather made up all-star, all-American invite thing. And and um, it's like, you don't really have to go to that. Like, no one cares. Yeah. Like, no one, no one really cares that if you attend that. Why don't you focus on your mechanics, focus on your, your, your mental health, focus on, um, you know, clearing your mind. And these kids don't get a you know, time to shut down either. You know, it's like if it was if if at the NFL level, right, like they would they would do what was best for um, if seven on seven um, was, you know, the best thing for them coming out in December, then, you know, the end of the season, then they would do that. 
you know, there's, it's important to shut it down for a little bit and, and manage the, 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 you know, opportunities you have to compete. And again, I'm not a seven on seven hater. I love it. I think it's great. Um, I think the, the competition is awesome. I think it is one of the best drills for playing quarterback. Um, you know, I know it gets a little bit crazy with some of the, you know, the defensive back and receiver battles that you see get, you know, thrown around on social media, but, um, I think it's a great tool and, um, you know, taking advantage of those opportunities is, is important, but same standpoint, I think you got to manage it if you want to have a healthy, long lasting career. Well, it makes sense. And, and, and really what we're talking about here is, is, is having a plan and, and, and having an arm care piece and, you know, making sure you're smart about how we're both ramping guys back up and, and, and how we're, you know, navigating our time off and things of that nature. And I know we, we already talked about Tom and, and, and Torque sports performance that you yeah. guys use and, you know, people are familiar with with us at quarterback takeover, a guy named Caleb Longley, another baseball background, right? He's a baseball coach at the University of Texas, kind of did our whole arm care program and things of that nature. And so, you know, it, it reminded me of, of one of the tweets I saw from you this offseason, you know, uh, probably just yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And, and maybe some, I think it segues into kind of, you know, this next piece is, you know, things that maybe you want to look at a little differently as you head into a new offseason, a new year. And one of the things that you mentioned was in regards to arm care and kind of a pre-practice and and pre and post-practice and, and pre-session and post-session kind of routine. So would you would you mind kind of broadening sure. on that a little bit and, and and maybe what's some of your early thoughts on 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 some things you want to look at differently this year? Yeah, well I think one of the unique things I have you know access to is being a, a high school football coach. Um, and, and then also being, um, a quarterback trainer, throwing coach. Um, and, and so I get to stay attached to the game, um, at a very amateur level. Um, although Florida football is very, very competitive. Um, but it's, it's still amateur in terms of, you know, you've got kids that are going to school and they've got other things going on. Um, and, and so that exposure to that world, um, helps me identify what truly is and isn't important. Uh, and, and, and so we have a limited amount of time to get the most out of practice, to get the most out of your athletes. Um, you know, and so for a quarterback, it is, it's, and, and I think I want to credit, you know, guys like Tom house that I think made it kind of publicly known that, Hey, listen, don't, you, you want to warm up to throw, not throw to warm up, um, in terms of stimulating the arm in a manner without a football prior to throwing, instead of just getting out there and ripping the football. Now, like I grew up just ripping the football and, um, you know, I, I was able to throw uh, continually for a very, very long time. However, I think I could have been better. Uh, I could have been more fresh. You know, those times, and I remember in college where I felt literally by the end of the season, I, my arm was going to fall off. It was going sure. to just drop off the, the, the shoulder. Um, and, you know, loss of velocity, um, loss of control. It would, you know, get worse. And, and that's that's basically a lack of you know, proper preparation in the off season, a lack of, um, you know, uh, managing volume. So, uh, you know, we, we used to subscribe to some, some drills, some underweighted, um, you know, uh, I guess, um, you know, popular quarterback drills that we used um, to get our quarterbacks warm, uh, getting exposed to uh, Dr. Tom Gromelli here at Torque, you know, he really opened my eyes to using weighted stimulus prior to throwing. Um, so and like so, your plyo ball type thing? Is exactly. That what about here? Yeah. 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 So using plyo balls, um, bands, and just, you know, having a, a very um, customized to the athlete, but a general approach 
to to get the arm, um, you know, firing, you know, firing, you know, the muscles, um, the brain connecting together, you know, being correct neurologically, being correct um, fundamentally, helping pattern good movements. So you stimulate the arm and the hips and the shoulders. So you're you're ready to get into practice and be at your best, you know, because a lot of guys jump into practice. And for us, you know, being a, a tempo team, um, one of the first things we do is we get out there and we, we go fast with the offense. And I don't want my quarterbacks throwing cold. Uh, it's difficult to throw cold. So we make sure we have a really comprehensive pre, pre-practice routine. And, um, and, then, and, and then from there, you know, that kind of ties into what we do pregame. And then we also manage some, some things from a, when we actually do pick up the football, a more of a unique approach than I think the traditional, you know, kind of facing your partner, twist and throw and offset a twist and throw, which again, some of those drills are great. I use them. Um, but really putting the quarterbacks in a situation to be a little bit more dynamic, um, focused on, on throwing under a little bit of uh, and pressure. And I mean, pressure by, um, just what you're forcing your body to do um, as you're moving. So, you know, different types of um, locomotion drills, so still a term from Bobby Stroop, um, when mm-hmm. the quarterback is moving and he's got to stay fluid, they've got to be, you know, on point, on target. So we get chaotic a little bit earlier in the process. And then we kind of back in, we use our, you know, drills that we have in practice to really focus on the fundamentals of drops and timing and, and mesh points and stuff with other position groups. When I have the quarterbacks alone, very dynamic. Um, there is routine in a sense that we do at a certain time in practice, but I try to break it up with different movement strategies. Um, I think breaking routine in terms of like not doing the same thing every day can actually be very, very helpful for, for quarterbacks to be able to adapt. It's kind of the same. It's a, on a smaller level, um, how you approach an individual time in practice is kind of the same thought process on a larger level. It's like, you don't want to specialize in one sport year round until you're a certain age. You know, you can take things from basketball. You can take things from baseball and it will make your football game better. The same things with our warm up. You know, we take elements from you know, different movements and, and different planes and different attack angles and, and try to, you know, mix it up a little bit so they, they can adapt in any situation in the game. Um, that's been really, really helpful. And then beyond that, just having a post throw post practice routine to make mm-hmm. sure we're cooling the arms off correctly. We're not just shutting it down cold and doing nothing. You got to think of throwing as, you know, you're essentially stretching an elastic band over and over and over and over again. And so the shoulder joint gets more and more loose through practice as, you know, as we throw more and more and more. So we want to restabilize the shoulder. So we have some, you know, um, post-throwing stabilization movements that we do. Um, we have uh, the, it's, it's similar to like a body blade it, um, to work on like post-scap health. You know, just to put the arm in a nice cool down position where you've re-stimulated the muscles, you kind of brought it back into its, its uh, um, nice little shoulder girdle. And, and, um, and I think what you find is that we had, we actually had increases in velocity through the season, um, mm. you know, uh, and we throw a lot, we throw a ton. Um, and so these, these processes I think are really helpful. And again, I'm not the brainchild behind the, the volume and the exercises necessarily, but the implementation of the the actual um, plyometric drills, the plyo balls, uh, the bands has been really helpful, and then um, and then and then you know and then managing that through the off season, adding in specific drills and exercises that are going to help stimulate other things that we need to improve um, going going through the, the entire year. Well, because obviously the goal is just to help the quarterback be at his best, and 
you know, play better each week and, and get stronger during the season. And, you know, I think it's one of the pieces that, because I know I share this as well, it's just like a unique perspective being both kind of a quarterback trainer and also a high school coach, right? I know yep. where, where I got a ton of value was having quarterbacks that I kind of trained all off season and then also had them in season as my, you know, varsity quarterback. And, you know, when you build that relationship, you really start to understand what, that quarterback needs to get him, you know, locked in as quickly as he can be for practice, for a game. What what drills does he need to work on pre-practice or what kind of throwing warm-up is going to get him most ready for, you know, the yeah. first drive of the football game? You know, it's always kind of funny. And, you know, so much of this, we always, I can't help but want to want to see what other guys are doing, right? Absolutely. I, I, I distinctly remember like pre-game on a Friday night, you know, we'd be warming up our quarterbacks and you can't help but look over the side of the field at the other team watching their quarterbacks warm up. And it was always funny to me when you'd see, like you were describing 15 yards apart, close the shoulder throw, like static stationary throw. Then they would go to step and throw. Then they would go some version of pat and go wraps on air. And then the game starts. Right. And, and invariably like the second play of the game would be a pass play, but of course they get pressure the quarterback gets flushed out to his left, has to make some, you know, crazy off-platform throw. And, like, the last time he tried to attempt that throw was probably, like, Wednesday at practice, yeah. right? And so seeing that's probably that, yelled at him doing it. That's exactly right, right? So it's yeah. like, you know, I, I remember having that takeaway uh, pretty early on. One of the things I thought I did really well uh, the last couple of years I was a high school coach was that pregame warm-up. And we would work all those different – off-platform throws and flag escape left, flag escape right, literally work, you know, like 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 escapes into, you know, our footwork yeah. of the pregame routine because those were the throws the quarterback was going to be asked to make, you know, in the first two drives of the game and, and preparing them for that. And, you know, I think that's what you're talking about is like, you know, obviously we want to make everything applicable to, to the game, um, but also understanding, you know, the individualized approach of, what each quarterback needs to get them locked into that extent. Well, and, and I think there's a tendency as a, as a football coach, you know, is to think everything uh, like it's the whiteboard, right? It's like, okay, we're going to practice the best version of this play. We're going to purchase practice the best version of this drop. And then the complete irony behind that is that the game is hundred percent chaotic. Like you can never predict what's going to happen. So and I don't want to discourage the, importance of having a foundation and a way of doing things and a consistency and and try to have a, a repeatable and I use the word repeatable carefully because in theory nothing is truly repeatable but um, uh, just being able to do the same thing over and over again in in with with guidelines but the same standpoint you know the game is is a lot of times it's one outside of the pocket or you know big plays happen outside of the pocket um, you could turn on the film uh, from, from our quarterbacks this year in high school and go, oh, wow, like if you watched our practice, you would see the, those throws coming out in warm-ups, right? Yeah. And then there's also the other element too, like hey, another good example, the drama we were talking about before, you know, an athlete we were talking about before with Brock. One of the unique things about Brock that we realized in his draft process is that he throws the ball better. He gets warmed up quicker if we get him moving earlier. So it's just mm -hmm. going like step and throw – you know, spot throw here, spot throw there. Yeah. I actually got, when we got him moving around in the pocket a little bit more, got him active more, um, 
he started throwing the ball better, faster, and it was just, it, it put him at ease. And so if you can understand about that, you know, that's why it's like with coaches, it's hard. Like, what drills do I do? Well, I don't know. Yeah. This quarterback might need this. So this guy might need this. Generally, yeah. they all need a version of this, you know, so individualizing what you do to the best of your ability, I think is helpful. It's a lot for a coach, but, you know, um, for a lot of guys, there's a lot of money on the line. So you might want to want to think about specifically how you're approaching each one of your quarterbacks, because we know that they might be the guy any given any given down. But it's so funny because it's one of the number one things I'll hear back from quarterbacks that I'll, that I'll work with, that I'll train is, you know, and then I was really ripping it like with you in our session on, you know, Saturday. And then, you know, at Wednesday at practice, I had kind of an off day and like, you know, trying to you know struggle a little bit with, with, you know, the juxtaposition of like, how was I on target so good locked in and then, you know, missing, you know, and it's to your point, it's like, well, because kind of you know the relationship you build with that quarterback like yeah like we know how to get him prepared as quickly as possible like i know what drills to work on what little coaching cues to put in your ear to get you locked in right and and that's i think one of the hardest parts and is is you know giving the the quarterback the tools to be able to do that without you there like to take mm-hmm. you know the things you're working on and you know and like i said it's a lot of work it's a lot of uh you know, building the relationship between kind of the private coach or the private trainer and the high school coach. Yeah. And like we said, then, you know, the perfect situation is when you're, you're both right. You're, you're one in the same in that situation. That's but. well, that's, and I think you, you just nailed it there. Cause immediately what I thought of was, you know, the, the biggest shift, I think one of the best shifts in the quarterback industry. And I completely understand the hesitation for a college coach, a high school coach, an NFL coach to hand their, you know, keys to the, 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 uh, their, their pride and joy off to someone outside of their program. But the reality is, is, is a lot of the times the trainer has worked longer with that athlete than anybody else. You know, when you've got a client you've been working with for 10 years, um, you, you might want to listen to a little bit about what they have and what they've, they've done with that athlete. And so the collaboration with, with the coaches um, from the, the team standpoint to the trainer standpoint, I think can be very, very beneficial for everybody. Um, just this afternoon, I, I had a message with uh, working with a commit for school and, and um, um, you know, messaged his, his future coach and, and was like, hey, we worked on these things and it was really good and, um, you know, making this kind of progress. And that's the kind of collaboration I think would be super helpful for, you know, everyone. Um, again, but I, I also understand the hesitation because the, the quarterback training industry is also full of, um, you know, it, it's, there's not, a, there's no regular, you know, re- uh, regulatory, um, process. You can just yeah. decide you're one and, and you're one and I get it. Yeah. Um, you know, and so you gotta be careful on that standpoint, but uh, no doubt. But yeah. you said, I, I, it's fast. It's, it's multiple people all just trying to make the quarterback as successful as he can be. And, you know, I think at, the, at, our, at all of our best, when that's put at the forefront, we all work together to achieve it. That's where you see those results happen, right? At, at both the NFL, the college, and the high school level. No doubt. All right. So we just spent like 15 minutes talking about how individual all these components of quarterback development are. But I'm going to put you on the spot because yeah. we are in December and every quarterback is starting their off-season training and development or if they're a coach or another trainer working with my quarterbacks. Let's, what, what do you think is maybe one common thing maybe general that like every single quarterback 
should be focused on as they start their offseason development? Yeah, so I think the, the, the best thing about this time of the year is your game, the next game that you play is going to be, um, you know, you're the furthest away from that next game, right? So you, you, you started, um, you, you had your, your final end of season game, and then there's a long space until you have to compete again in the fall. So to me, this is the perfect opportunity to, uh, and again, we have a unique situation where we've accessed the motion capture um, and, you know, 3D motion capture. So we can put a quarterback on, you know, this, these fancy cameras and break down the mechanics in a very, very detailed factor and, and figure out if there's very specific things that, um, you know, they need to adjust from a, um, uh, you know, a, a mechanical standpoint, whether it's like separating sure. the hips more and, you know, more external rotation, external um, uh, passive layback in the arm. Um, but I think it's time, you know, this is the perfect time to figure out what exactly, you know, you need to identify as your major errors and major flaws in your throw, your mechanics from the past season, go back and view your film, you know, maybe it's just a, a, a situation where, you know, you're, you're falling out of your throws too much. You've got a, too much tilt or lean, you know, posturally you're off your finishes, you over rotate and, and identify those things and make sure you spend the time right now to pattern, you know, retrain and fix any of those movements you can um, because it's going to be go time again, very, very quickly. Right. And so again, if you're always focused on, on competition, it's hard to separate um, and, and split up your time. Uh, you know, it's hard to watch the rotation of a safety and focus on, um, you know, your lead arm in, in one movement, right? So you got to have time to, to dial it back. Um, and I think this is the perfect time to do that. And you don't even have to do it with a football. Like you, you can start that process, you know, just throwing some kind of implement at a wall um, and film it with the camera. You don't even need a coach, right? Like you can do it if you've got a good enough understanding you can do it remotely with a coach um, and, and just kind of chip away at, at some of the basics. Um, and if you don't have an understanding of those basics, then I think, you know, um, that's when you try to get with an expert and, and identify sure. those things. No, it makes sense, right? This is the time to, you know, identify the, the two or three things or the one thing where you can make the most improvement and then have a plan on, on how to, you know, see that through, correct? Like, yeah. like this is the time to do it, have a plan and, and go from there. All right, Will, so the, one of the things you just talked about was how it's getting better, right? Like the relationship between coaches and trainers, quarterback training in general, I think. This is one of the things when you and I first got to know each other, God, it feels like 10 years ago now, probably pretty close. Uh, yeah. Certainly the first time we did the podcast, the idea of like continuing to grow and evolve. And, you know, you're seeing that in the quarterback training and development world, which is you know, felt like it took too long to happen. And now mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're happy it's here. So let's start going through some things that it felt like three years ago, we had to fight and argue for the validity of this type of coaching. And now it seems like it's become the norm, right? And, and the first yeah. thing jumps out is that whole deceleration phase of the throw and the importance of the sudden stop. And, you know, I, I give you a lot of credit as I think everybody in this Space does is being one of the first ones to really communicate that well and to kind of fight to show yeah. why it's so important. Yeah. Um, do you feel like, hey, now just about everybody is out there coaching that's deceleration finally, right? Are you are you feeling like we're yeah. seeing that more and more? 
Yeah, I think um, you know, in coaching, it's like we're always looking for one size fits all approach, right? And and there's also from a trainer's perspective, um, I started realizing there was an issue with, um, you know, if this is my profession and I have an understanding at, at this level, I can't, I can't effectively communicate 15 year plus years of of you know studying and learning and, and education to uh, a, a, a young quarterback trainer or, or quarterback coach to, to like, oh yeah, this is, well, this is what I've learned. This is how you do it, right? Um, there's nuance to it. There's individuality to it. There's, there's the, 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 the reps that my eyes have seen. Um, that's hard to communicate. So, you know, there's an emphasis for me to figure out a way, like what's the right amount of information we can provide coaches, trainers, players, it's not going to take them off the deep end where they're going to end up doing more damage than good. Um, yeah. And so that was my mindset was to create something that was easily, easily used. So the kind of the start, start and stop methodology of, you know, the, the sequence of throwing, there's a, there's a very aggressive start and there has to be a very aggressive stop to create that like whip, like, you know, um, uh, explosive movement. Um, and so at first it's like, you know, um, I think people have known that the hips are part of the throw, but there's no end point, right? It's like more hips. Like you, if you use your hips, your back foot's going to come all the way around. Well, yes, you're correct. But they're, the way sequencing works is it's a, you know, the little curves of acceleration, deceleration, and they all interact in a, in a manner. Um, but if you don't understand that or you haven't seen that, you're not aware of that technology, you're just going to go probably off the other end. It's just like, well, let's do more of this. Um, and I think the, you would see it and I, you know, I'm not, not going to call anyone out, but like, there's lots of trainers and I, I shift, but I, I admitted that I shift. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, I taught sure, something bad and then changed it, but like, you know, trainer in whatever state and area, it's like their big emphasis is on like, you know, locking the arm in there's a shirt and like this big over rotation move. And then you just get bombarded, you know, with all this information out there. And then you, at some point you got to look at it and then at, decide like, am I going to stick to this and teach it this way that, I thought was right, or am I going to listen to all these people that swear that that's a better way to do it? And then you secretly go try that way um, and go, oh, wow, that's actually pretty good. And then your best client goes to another trainer and then he comes back and tells you like, yeah, they said, don't do anything that you said. Um, and then, so you have to adapt. You have to adapt. Yeah. Um, and and that enough, with social media, there's enough embarrassment out there now to where like, if you're going to put it out there, you know, um, it's going to get ripped apart, especially on Twitter where everyone's mean. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, or it's, you know, it's going to get love and, 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 uh, you know, respect. And so you've got to be willing to change. And I think coaches are more willing to do that. Um, but, you know, I think the, the, the emphasis on the, the foundation, like if you don't really have a good understanding of like how the throw is, is positioned now from a sequence standpoint, you don't have the buzzwords then you're living under a rock or you don't want to hear it. You know, I was laughing the other day on Twitter. There's some thread I was included on where like Caleb Williams makes this like off angled RPO throw to the sideline. And the first comments like, yeah, he should get his elbow up. And I'm just, yeah. I just, I wanted, I, I, I thought about responding for like 15 minutes. I'm like, why am I, why am I doing this? There's people that yeah. actually still think that that's not an optimum way to make that type of throw. Um, it just, you know, I get it. We want to question everything, but that's someone holding on to some old school mindset of like, yeah, literally said like, have you seen Jim Harbaugh 
you know, his presentation. I'm like, yeah. that dude played quarterback in the NFL 100 years ago. None of his yeah. quarterbacks worked him in the offseason. I, I, I see a great football coach. I'm not denying that. But like we said before, sure. coaches and trainers are different things. Um, that yeah. guy's got – he's got intimate knowledge about the quarterback position. I'm sure he does. About QB mechanics, he doesn't study it. He doesn't know it. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. – you know, I've seen his presentation. He talks about throwing a newspaper. You know, so, um, yeah, like there's still people holding on for dear life on the, on the what, what worked for them that really didn't work for them. They just yeah. think it did. Um, and, and, uh, I just, you know, if you're that, that guy, that, that'll take care of itself. I, that, you know, um, but yeah. Hopefully yeah. I think, sense. I think the one maybe good thing that I see in this, in this space is those comments used to come from people who trained quarterbacks. And now yes. at least they're just coming from like average football fans on Twitter. So like yes. that seems like we've gone somewhere then, right? Because that used to be literally yes. like guys who called themselves quarterback trainers and coaches and developers were asking those questions. Now it's like, like I said, just seeing maybe the, whatever, the base level of kind of our industry, if you will, mm-hmm. go, get better, uh, you know, because, you know, we can be petty and criticize and laugh at and, and we've done all of that to the coaches we see postings on social media that are yeah. what we wouldn't agree with. And so yeah. if we're going to do that, then let's also at least, you know, take notice and I don't know, give a thumbs up to the people who have evolved, right? If, if all Absolutely. along that's all we asked was, man, just look at the information that's out there and, and, and be better about what you're doing. And yeah. I think, you know, over the last couple of years, just to see that, which is cool. So you gotta, yeah, you got to learn to move on. Um, you definitely have to. Talk to me about, because we just talked about the social media piece. So talk to me about your your perspective. You know, it's, it's like almost like a necessary evil in kind of our world. Would you call it that? Where like, yeah, there's there's a there's a need to be a little bit relevant and to have some, you know, this is what this is. This is content, right? That we're kind of yeah. making for. So how do you how do you feel about the way you use Instagram and Twitter to, to put out information, to maybe market what you do, to attract clients, or, or and what are some of maybe the, the negatives that you see from, from other people in the space? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I mean, speaking to myself personally, sure. um, I, I want to say that I felt like I was somewhat of an industry leader early on with Instagram. I started to take more of an educational approach um, in terms of doing posts that were focused on certain aspects of the throw with, you know, and I post drills and with breakdowns of it. Um, cause I, you know, I wanted to build my brand and, and kind of build my recognition and able to, you know, kind of help. And it did, it helped me work with people. Um, I, you know, I got messages from, you know, people that I never thought I would get messages from, you know, professional sure. quarterbacks reaching out, like your stuff really helped me. Um, but then I, 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 I had a point where I was like, man, like, I feel like the stuff I'm putting out is just getting regurgitated um, and, and I'm not getting credit for it. And okay. uh, Should I get credit for it? You know, we're all supposed to share um, with football coaches like here, here's everything I know because I coach football. Um, Well, I mean, I do this for a living. Um, And so I I made kind of a decision like, you know what, if you want this information, you're going to have to pay for it. I'll put some stuff out there. And I've kind of made that my my approach. I, I like to be a little more thought provoking on social media, ask questions, you know, 
Um, I, I'm probably a little bit more sarcastic and snarky when it comes to, you know, some of the responses that I want to have. So I try to stay away from it. Um, you know, but I think it's a great tool. It definitely, again, allows to, to build some awareness and show people what you're kind of teaching and, and what you're exposed to. And you're going to get ideas from them all the time. I'm, I'm always on it, looking at it, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I've, I'm trying to use it a little bit more now, but uh, mostly for just marketing purposes and, and just, you know, staying relevant somewhat in the space. My network of, of people that send me people to train is already built from, you know, exactly agents right. and coaches and stuff. So I, that, that, that kind of ship sailed on that end of it. Um, now it's just about like continuing to differentiate yourself from, because that's the problem. Like if uh, there's certain quarterback trainers that I do not want to be, a, I, like if they are considered a quarterback trainer, then I don't want to be a quarterback trainer. Um, you know, cause it's like, that's to me, that's unprofessional, um, you know, some hack job and, and that has this ego, the size of, you know, the moon and and thinks all that they do is great well you know that you're in 97 text threads with private coaches behind the scenes with them just ripping you apart so you know whether that's good or bad but i, I just feel like the, the right amount there's some good stuff out there you can learn from it but i also think the industry itself is there's an expectation again to share everything yeah. because we're yeah. just we're all coaches trying to help out kids i'm like yeah i get it but like I've worked really hard. I've read a lot of things. I've, I've worked very, very diligently. I don't feel like I should have to give all that up um, just because, um, you know, the, for the common good of coaching. I, again, it's, this is how I put food on my table. So I think there's, and you know, the good, the, the right, the, the, the best ones either have something to exchange with you, some information, or they offer to pay for it, right? Like every yeah. time I reach out to someone that's, I want something from, I'm like, let me know what it costs because your time is worth money. So um, yeah, and I think the, the, the industry now, like there's, there's a lot of quarterback trainers out there and, and there's gonna be some really, really good ones. The problem with social media now is that, um, that there's the, the size of the following might dictate that what they're producing is, is good and, and it might not be. Um, and I think people are finding a way to kind of just regurgitate the same amount of information. Um, you know, like you'll see it all the time. It's like, you know, use your back hip and, and um, you know, even the stuff we were talking about before, um, you know, the, with the, the sequence of, you know, the arms and the backstroke and the front arm and, and yeah. uh, there's just stuff popping up about, you know, people are just ripping off and ripping off and ripping off again, but it's a little bit like that game where you whisper in the ear by the end, it gets to the other end. That's the message it. has been lost. Yeah. And like, if you learn how to play quarterback from social media, um, you know, um, props to you. Um, yeah. I think again, still getting with a qualified trainer, if you want to be elite, I think you can get the most out of your game. And that, the, I think the best information probably isn't online. Um, you gotta, you gotta go look for it or you gotta pay for it. So many things that like, yeah, I'm like nodding along as you're saying. The first is like, you know, I agree with you. Like I, I kind of came up in that world of like, let's collaborate. Let's all work together. And because that's yeah. how I got to learn all the good stuff that I think I do now was through Absolutely. that network, including guys like yourself and Dub Maddox and, and Quincy Avery and guys, that, you know, big on this podcast, quite honestly, for that reason, because these are the guys I trust and that they have helped me get better. And so you're wanting to be a piece of that. Like, you know, I, you wanted to continue to absolutely to bring that, you know, and that's what really 
the whole quarterback Q&A thing came from as well, right? Because yes. early on, it was like, okay, I want to share some information. You and I have had this conversation. The last thing I want to do is be the guy that's like, do you want to know how to throw better? Watch me. You're like, as if I'm mm-hmm. the self-proclaimed, you know, this is the right way right. I'm going to tell you. Because I, you know, see content and I take in content myself. And that puts me off when I see content that comes across that way. And so that was yeah. what, like, oh, well, let me just open up and people can ask questions and they all answer, right? Like, that's like the less thick way of like helping to give out information. That was yeah. kind of the thought process and and then kind of turned into the podcast and everything else. And um, the other piece that you said that was, that, that really hit home was like the bastardization, you know, the whisper down the lane and like you said, hey, sudden start, sudden stop and this. And then by the time somebody else is putting out there, it's, you know, it's about like, you know, just I got to do this with the, the back foot has to do this and this only. And it, it's like, well, that's right. not really what what I said, but but you can see where it came from. And, you know, there was a point where, uh, gosh, probably a couple of years ago now, it's probably the beginning of this whole process where I put out a lot of the drills that, that, that quenching I did a quarterback takeover and 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 putting out there a lot of um, examples of the drill. But the thing was that he kind of wanted to own like the narrative of like this is how you do it. This is the important coaching points, right? Like because uh-huh. it felt like if you didn't do that, then it it got blown into something different. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I remember when yeah. you and I talked. Uh, on the previous podcast, we talked specifically about, um, you know, kind of your reset drill, like, you know, what I would call like throw reset yeah. um, with the idea yeah. of, of kind of a way to inform the feel of the deceleration and that sudden stop by having an intentional move after the throw. And, Absolutely. you know, and, and it was funny because by the time we had talked on the podcast and you had shown me that drill via text, you know, maybe a year and a half earlier. I had already seen it by 50 different people out on social media, right? They <laughs> saw you yeah. do it, but it was like, but it was never what you were doing, right? It was like always yeah. this other version of it that wasn't as good. Right. And, and they were failing in what the intended purpose of the drill was. And, and so it's like, you're right. I don't care who gets credit for stuff. I don't need to be the guy yeah. I came up with that drill, but right. there is a value in like, if you're going to do it, then do it this way. Because I used to laugh with you know, Quincy all the time, too. It's like, you know, we put these drills out. And then you see, like, I'll be – this has happened numerous times. I'll be in Charlotte or I'll be, like, in a parking in Atlanta. And I'll see some quarterback trainer, like, on the other side of the field. Yeah. Doing, like, our drill. Like, and I know that, like, he only saw that from, like, our content, right? And it's kind of yeah. like, like, what the hell? And also, like, pretty cool compliment, right, that, like, but sure. it was like at the end Absolutely. of the day, it was like if if people are going to do it anyway, then let them do it the right way. In my yeah. perspective, because it's like if I the, the reason we use these drills and the drills you use are because you think it's the best way, you know, or one of the best tools to achieve whatever technique you're working on. So if I think this is the best, and I want everybody to only use these drills, in, you know, in a weird perspective sure. too. So, but that that line of you know, how much do you kind of give away, put out to everybody? Uh, you know, it's, 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 I think one that even I struggle with to try to figure out what the, 
you know, where the line yeah. is there. Well, and I think it's like, yeah, that's that balancing act of like, okay, if I, 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 and that's one of the reasons why I stopped putting a lot of stuff out. Cause I'm like, ah, like, it's just, I don't know. And, and maybe it's my lack of explanation or how to explain it, but I don't know that I can put that out there with the, with the right whys, the right cues, um, you know, cause it just ends up being like, well, if the kid does this and make sure you watch with this. And then it's like, ah, yeah. but then if he, this happens, it's just this like cycle. And I realized it was like, it's like a 14 minute like, video, right? Some, yeah. I'm like, oh, wait, yeah. like I'm not getting, you know, this is, this is costing, um, this is time, time that I'm spending and, and, and sure. maybe it's just not worth it. Um, um, and so, you know, just that, that emphasis, I think is, is maybe be careful about what I share and, and what I don't share. And like, again, I want to help bring the community up. I like to think that we can you know, elevate and educate and give guys a, an opportunity to continue to learn um, um, and, and credit or no credit. Um, it's, it's, I think it's helpful to bring the community up, but I think there's also a point too, where it's like, at some point you've got to invest your own time in understanding it better. And like, everyone's like, what books do you read? What, what this is like, I mean, honestly, it was like, you know, reading old baseball manuals and biomechanics and, and doing Zoom yeah. calls with random, like, you know, PhD guys at, 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 at random universities that were experts in their world and, you know, understanding motor learning and reading stuff that wasn't about football. And it just took years and lots of trial and error. And, and, um, you know, it's hard to, to encapsulate that and say, Hey, this is how we do it. But I think, you know, the right guys are going to figure it out for sure. Thanks. And, and we've talked about it before. It's just surrounding yourself with people, you know, to, that have those conversations, right? It's, it's what, you know, the group of us that kind of started back in the NFA and National Football Academies, you, you kind of built that little fraternity of people that wanted to talk about stuff like this and share ideas. Yep. And, you know, with with the QB Collective or, you know, with Elite 11 and, you know, we've been around a lot of yeah. like minded people who want to talk about this type of thing. And, you know, I think that kind of being able to bounce ideas off in a respectful manner or like people that yeah. like, appreciate each other's input um you know it's maybe the best way to all so back to the quarterback back to the development piece we'll kind of start wrapping up here in the next couple questions but, yeah um let's hit on like some quick like I, if i say you know separate initial separation of the throw what are like two or three mm -hmm. things that that pop up to you that like maybe a kid should be focused on like right so if i said yeah. like hey think about the, the first step you know my big coaching point would be like get that foot in the ground as quickly as you can, right? Like just a sure. quick hitter kind of like, this is kind of a, 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 if you're only thinking about getting that foot in the ground quick, it's going to make a lot of things better, right? Something along those lines. So if I say initial separation for you, what are some things you're thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, immediately what comes to mind is, is making sure that, that, you know, on separation that we have, a emphasis on the on the the back hip driving or rotating the front hip driving rotating the opposite direction so that hip fire is sequenced as as a primary movement right so because in sequence it's hips trunk um, elbow shoulder and then in reverse so initial separation you know initial movement um, you know I'm thinking both hands are traveling in a backwards manner right so you're going to get lead arm back slightly um, and as that's going back to kind of load the shoulders internally externally that hip's going to rotate towards the target. So I'm looking for that fire of the back hip immediately in, in, in uh, sequence with the, the shoulders kind of rotating and kind of get that, that opposite 
direction to create that tension. Um, and, and so that's an area that I think, you know, is, is, is hard to be aware of if you haven't done a drill or, or something to focus on, but I'm immediately thinking of that. So let's talk about the front foot. Like there's some, still some, I guess, arguing of, do you try to point the toe at to the target? Do you, I mean, I think we're kind of moving away from yeah. that, but if you just think about front foot, kind of the initial, what I'll call the drive step, you know what I mean? Like, what sure. are you thinking about there? And, and, it, and it goes well, along with the initial separation and the hips you just talking about, of course. So go ahead. Yeah. So we're going hip rotation into that step, right? So the hips will rotate actually before that foot hits the ground. Um, and then that foot, foot up, foot down, like in terms of how that foot hits the ground, one of the quickest ways to speed up sequence and release is getting the foot in the ground quick, like you just said. Um, so an elongated stride, um, elongates the sequence, which makes it harder for the arm to get through. So it's a it's a it's a great way to think about um, getting the arm through more effectively, um, to time up the sequence better. I think secondary, like anyone, you cannot say you can't block a quarterback in to say that the toe should point in a certain direction. And I learned this from um, uh, understanding the the hip and the lead hip. Um, depending on your physical limitation of how far you're in, you can internally rotate your lead hip. That's going to di dictate where your your how what angle your toe is going to point, right? So if you look at Tom Brady, his toes point very aggressively in. He's got fantastic internal rotation in his lead hip, meaning he can still rotate into that leg with the toe closed. So yeah. the old, kind of the old thing of like stepping on the midline, I think, definitely has some validity to it. Uh, pointing the toe, eh? Um, I think it's more of an inward angle that allows the hips to clear, but also puts on the brakes. Um, to, to to say it is exactly something would be a mistake, in my opinion. Yeah, it seems like one of those things that go too far, you get in trouble. Does that make sense? So if like yep. if you're yep. trying to point the toe, there's more danger in going too far and the front hip opening too much, right? Or if you're trying to step off the midline intentionally, there's yeah. more concern in and that's, you know being two feet off the midline and, and prematurely opening, right? Like, is that the way you look at it a little bit? Yeah, I would say that, yeah, and I would say the worst end is stepping too wide. That's but it, I think exactly. If, if, we're, if we were to go back at the beginning, we, would, we wouldn't teach it through the foot. We would teach it through the hips, yeah. meaning that the, the hips would kind of, wherever that foot lands um, within reason. And then we make adjustments to say, okay, that's, that's kind of hindering it a little bit, right? But I think if you get too specific too early on, it ends up getting robotic. You get kind of got that knee spread. The back hip's not firing. You focus on the foot going down. Um, and, and so really it should be driven through hip rotation, um, and then intuitively you'll put the foot down to help block that lead hip so you can create that nice little whip and D-style feeling in the, in the hips. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, you're right there. Again, one extreme, the other direction, I, in everything in throwing, I think it's yeah. going to throw you off, uh, no pun intended. Well, pun intended. Yeah. I'm skipping yeah. around. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm skipping around a little bit, but, like, let's talk about kind of the finished position. We talked about deceleration. We don't have to get super technical on kind of how we get there, but how do yeah. you envision maybe what just finished position looks like for your average QB? Talk to me about like yeah. front arm and where maybe that should be kind of posture wise, like what, or do, or do you even think that's there's value in having a quarterback kind of try to mirror a, a, a mm -hmm. finished position consistently? Yeah. Yes. And no. Um, I think the data say says that, that the finish as long as the hips decel, there's that window of deceleration and the, the energy is transferred, there can be a little bit movement post throw in terms of like the back foot might come around a little bit or they might rotate 
the lead arm might drop a little bit more than we would have liked or, or, or we've seen traditionally. Um, I think at, at the core of it, that as long as you fit right within sequence and you get maximum decel with the hips and it's transferred into the upper body, um, you're going to get a good throw. I think it's easier to get that right if you have a clear understanding of what the finish truly looks like. Okay. Where I've arrived, and I think um, on average, and I, and, I, and I say this, I don't coach a lot of this at all, if anything, during the season. I Meaning you're going to see things in terms of a rotation standpoint that don't look maybe right to the eye on game film. But as long as it hits that window as the ball's coming out of the hand, I think you're good to go. I think you're going to have a slight flex in the lead leg knee, but it's not going to be soft. I mean, you're not going to have bend in the knee, post throw, middle of throw. It's flexed, but it's stiff to create yeah. that good block. Um, I think you're going to have that lead foot flat in the ground um, for the most part. You can be a little bit more emphasis on the toes, uh, but and not so much too much emphasis on the heel. I think the back leg is going to come through where the knee should finish somewhat even. In theory, if you do it right, the back foot shouldn't feel the need to come all the way around. Um, so if it's if you're generating back foot movement consciously post-release, then that's probably a bad thing. If it comes around on a throw post-release, because that's the nature of the drill or throw, it's not the end of the world. Um, yeah. But I think you're, you're, you're in sequence. If you do it right on air with no pressure, it's going to finish behind. The back foot's going to finish behind the front foot. Lead arm, I think, is a really, really good one. Um, he can do a lot of damage. I think Tom House was kind of a, the guy that was on the forefront of making the, you know, the emphasis on, on making sure that this, it can protect rather than hurt. And I think quarterback coaches for a long time, were trying to figure out a way to coach it, whether it's like tucking it in, putting yeah. a towel under the hip, you know, um, equal and opposite interpreted, interpreted incorrectly with kind of the old go pulse mentality, like do the same thing. Really what we're talking about is it being in a position where if you look at a quarterback from the back, the elbow isn't pulled around, you know, the lead hand is in front, um, somewhere centrally located, and you got kind of matching angles as the pointer release, this arm matches this arm, and this arm matches this arm on the finish, right? If this is out here, and this is out here, then it's, you know, not a good look. If they're, sure. yeah, that's not a good look. If it's pulled around, you shouldn't emphasize ripping around with this. It should just assist and stabilize. Um, somewhere in front. So I think that's probably a, a good approach. Um, and again, to, 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 to give Cal's credit, he uses this terminology of like taking a bite out of a burger, whatever the case is, or an apple or something, a sandwich, but it's, it's in front, you know, you get that nice brace and, and position to help create that nice little whip for the upper body sequence to finish. Anything about uh, from an arm path standpoint, finishing of the throw from it like you know we talked about extension and things of that nature yeah. where are your thoughts now have you evolved a little bit over the last yeah. couple of years with that idea yeah i mean i think creating a throw where you get the concept of passive layback meaning that the arm is laying back because it wants to not because you're trying to lay it back meaning that part you'll see Mahomes has like ridiculous layback right it's layback essentially equals velocity there's going to be physical limitations depending on, you know, what your shoulder uh, girdle and your humerus is kind of adapted to as a thrower. I've talked about this on other podcasts too, and, and, and I've probably said it on yours before, but like if you are young, uh, that adaption phase happens from athletes that throw when they're younger. So like eight, nine, 10, 11, it's a shoulder girdle actually changes and twists. Um, the humerus does it, it repositions, meaning you're going to lose internal rotation in your throwing arm right? Your left arm should have more if you're right-handed, but you're going to gain it externally. So it kind of sure. shifts. Um, and then, you know, being able to lay the arm back passively in the throw 
Um, and that is in sequence with the hips being able to get ahead, right? So it's like hips firing first allows the arm to lay back. The nice layback allows your arm to come through with a great acceleration and it kind of reaches that peak as the hand is coming off. Um, we've, we've started getting access to the, the very, very, it's like 2000 or 2500 um, uh, frames per second on the release. And so we're starting to measure, um, you know, see the different release patterns of the hand and where the arm goes. Um, we also can measure spin rate with our motion capture. Yep. And so, you know, getting, getting feedback on spin rate helps us understand that the athletes doing a lot of good things with their arm um, through the throw. This, I think there's still a basic shape that kind of looks like a fish hook. It's kind of that J circular path while they're getting external, you know, um, they're getting the, the load on the backside. And then there's an emphasis of going out to the target with flexion of the forearm and internal rotation of the shoulder. Um, I think those things are still true. And then the finished position, it's, it should, the emphasis is out. It'll end up going down after the fact. Um, elbow position, I think, is I've really settled from like a shoulder to, to kind of chin, um, even the nose. Um, but I think you should live okay. in that zone um, from about the nose. To, as in terms of shoulder height, elbow height in relation to the, to the throw, I think any higher than that, unless it's a situational throw where it's like a screen, we have to get over someone, sure. get up and down on it. Maybe it's a, a an OTB route where you got to get it over the middle, but flat and fast, flat and fast through is 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 uh, I think a good way to look at it where you can get a good good amount of layback and, and drive out to the target. How about from a you know I don't even know how to phrase it like a, almost a posture or like a control of the body right I think one of the things that I'm sure you see I know I do with a lot of the youth high school quarterbacks, maybe the big flaw is a lot of the like lunging their body in the throw, tilting, you know, at the end of the yeah. throw. Um, how do you coax that? Do you, do you talk about keeping head still? Do you talk about keeping chest up or back? Or like what's, what's maybe how you would coax that? What are kind of some of the cues you would use? You're once again in the framework of like, what could a QB be thinking about that would be helpful for him? Yeah, so we, um, I, I didn't learn this again. This is from Baseball World, and I got this from Tom Torth. Is like, uh, you're going to find your engine. Um, and so if you find the wrong engine, you're going to emphasize. And typically in quarterbacks, is what we see is that they have a pull or tilt or a lunge to generate force, right? They're pulling this away to get natural lag in the arm. It mm -hmm. makes sense, right? So if you miss it with the hips, you're going to find it somewhere else to get that yeah. lag and acceleration. The problem is, is that's not in, in football. Um, it doesn't allow you to adapt your arm in, in, in certain types of throws, um, you know, because because you have to always be constantly moving. It doesn't give you a variation of angles. Um, and then and then again, you're using the wrong parts of your body to generate force. So in, in my mind, it, yes, head still, you know, try to keep your spine even. I think those are cues that you can use, but you have to dig back and see what the source is of what is creating that, that lean and that lunge. Is it because they want to do it? Probably not. Um, and so it, it's usually a deficiency, I think, somewhere else in the throw where they're not generating enough energy early. Um, there, there's, a, there's a basic ratio of like load to throw, and it's about two to one, where you're gonna load in about a two sequence, and then the release is like a one. So it's like one, two, one, boom. And again, stolen from baseball, um, and, and so if you don't do the work early in the throw, that's going to end up being, you know, materialized somewhere else in the throw where it's like a, 
a lean or a tilt or pull. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, and a lot of that comes from like maybe throwing a ball that was too heavy when you were younger and for sure and trying to generate force, you know, that's why yeah. I always recommend like, throw, don't, you don't have to throw a football, but just throw something that fits your hand and that weighs correctly where it doesn't make you do crazy stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's generally my approach. So there's cues you can use that are kind of external, you know, head still, eyes still, you know, shoulders level, that type of thing. But I think you have to dig back in and say, okay, why, you know, why is that happening? And to me, usually it's a combination of, you know, poor um, use of the lower body, you know, some early sequence fire uh, of something yeah. else, maybe it's the front shoulder coming open and uh, you kind of dig into it from there. Yeah, you're right. Cause you do, you see it a lot with quarterbacks as they're developing, growing. And, you know, you're always the kid who's just trying to get like five more yards on his deep ball, right? And he's just trying to get, recruit power in any way he can. And to your point, yeah, if you lunge your body, if you rip your shoulder open, you are creating power in theory or you're getting, but, you know, it's certainly nothing that's, that's helping you be consistent or accurate or, you know, it's failing you from what you're trying to do as a quarterback, right? Um, one of the coaching points I use is like, like, like kind of trust the power you're creating in your lower body, and your core, right? They trust your sequencing yep. and don't try to make up and try to get something somewhere else, maybe along those lines. Um, one more development question. And then I, I got, yeah. you know, pick your brain on kind of your unique perspective with coaching your son. So we'll get there in a minute, but yeah. um, one more um, from a, from a development standpoint, anything when you think about kind of the off platform, the throw on the run, you know, you know, I, I, I think it's so easy for us to kind of put throws in really throwing yeah. motion. So much of it is consistent in both. But then we separate kind of the on platform from the off platform, right? The stationary from the on the run. So specifically in those off platform type, anything, you know, I, there's 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 coaching about, you know, kind of leg swings and things like that as you're throwing and, and symmetry. And so where are you at with maybe some some key pieces yeah. for throwing on the run? Um, you know, I've, I think there's a lot of, you know, breakdown on, on throwing the run that's helpful. I think there's some things that we see, um, that, that people coach and, and some thing points of emphasis. I, I tend to be, um, less technical on the run. I don't, I don't know yeah. if it's just because I'm not comfortable understanding maybe the details of everything about it. Cause it's so dynamic and different every time. Um, I, I would say the things that have helped me out, there's a couple of key things that have just settled in my head where I'm like, okay, these always make sense to me. Um, so throwing to your opposite side, so righty going left, um, you basically can flip your hips and make the throw. Um, you can rotate your upper body and make the throw. I think we have to have a, a, a relaxed approach to elbow height in that, meaning you're probably going to play lower and wider when you're going to that side. Um, because you got to create really good arm speed. There's a lot of variables. If you try to get your arm more vertical, there's a lot of times we'll get a lot of tilts in that. Yeah. Um, and then you're playing, you know, you're moving laterally. So you've got to be able to adjust laterally a little bit more than being more up and down in my mind. Makes if that sense. makes sense. Sure. Um, and then if, if you're a hip flipper, if you got to hip flip your hips, um, I think one of the solutions that's been great there is, is the foot pop thing, uh, which is, you know, now everyone in America is doing it. Um, uh, in 2015, uh, when I started working on that, um, that kind of gives you your body a little bit of a way to, to sustain a really good throwing posture um, for just a moment. Uh, uh, it tightens up because we put it on motion capture. And what we found is it tightens the sequence up. So it shortens everything. It makes it more compact. So there's a lot more consistency. 
um, and it allows the cue to kind of get their arm through and out. Uh, it just extends that that hitting window, um, hitting window, throwing window. I, I say yeah. hitting window because I think of the the the, the left-handed. Um, I think it was like the guys that played baseball where they stay in the strike zone longer as they're almost running towards first base on the bunts. You know, it's like yeah, a longer absolutely. window. Or like softball, right? Long... That's what the girls yep. do in softball. Yep, exactly. So it gives you that longer window to get through. Um, and so those have been my main points of emphasis. And then and then working as many angles as possible um, and then not having necessarily hard and fast rules, just guidelines on it. Um, that's been a real, real helpful part for me. One thing I think we don't do enough of as quarterback coaches and trainers is we don't do full speed um, lateral movements where the quarterback is running at 100% and then trying to make yeah. the throw. Because real football, you're going 100% a lot of the times. You, not all the time, but sometimes you're going 100%. And trying to navigate your arm through at 100% movement is really difficult. So yeah, I, I learned that the hard way in season when I saw my quarterbacks miss those throws. I'm like, ugh. We don't work on that. So, yeah. um, you know, that's that's a, that's probably my, my main thought on that. As you touched on kind of staying on the run or flipping the hips and you kind of use the word like some quarterbacks do this or do that. Do you look at it like you got to be able to do both? You should train both. You should make your quarterback comfortable with with both yeah. or just let them gravitate to what they do best or what feels most comfortable. Both and both. What you just said, I think you let them gravitate what, to what feels comfortable but you, you expose them to everything. I think you yeah. have to. Um, differential learning, right? You got to show them both ends of the spectrum and then they'll kind of settle what, what, what makes sense the most. Yeah, makes sense. No, I, th I think that's the way I look at it as well is like, you know, you, you, how does the quarterback know if he's, maybe this is his going to be his preferred way once he learns how to do it. Does that make sense? Like you kind of need to yep. Ex ex yep. have him experience it before he, you know, can make a decision on how useful it is for him or not. But, um, all right, so the last thing, and I promise I'll let you go, William. You've been no great about the time you've given us here today. So uh, you talked about your son, uh, high school quarterback, yeah. Derek St. Augustine, uh, going to be a rising junior. Do I have that right? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so just yeah, finished the sophomore season there. Yeah, um, my oldest son is a sixth-grade quarterback, right? And so, you know, as I know the path that potentially could lay ahead for, for him, I look, you know, at kind of the relationship I've seen you and your son have and, you know, I've been yeah. fortunate enough to know your son uh, when he was younger and going through those kind of the, the youth football phase and, and moving on. So talk to me a little bit about first the youth football, the whole idea of, you know, kind of the daddy ball era mm -hmm. of, of development and how to navigate that. You know, once again, in the framework of really I'm asking for advice for me, but then also for you know, other parents yeah. that are dealing with youth quarterbacks. And, you know, I think invariably you get to an age where, you know, every team you play for, you know, 90%, it's like the coach's kid is the quarterback or, or one yep. of them, right? You get some variation of that. So talk to me, maybe some tips about like navigating that space and maybe yeah. some things you learned or did you coach your son when it was from a youth football standpoint or did you kind of stay away from that? Yeah. Yeah, both. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, when he started, he started pretty early, and I don't think he needed to start this early, honestly, with real football. But he started playing when he was nine, um, and he played tight end and defensive end. Um, mm -hmm. And then he came to me after that season and said, "Dad, I want to be a quarterback." And and I put my hands in my head. I was like, "Oh my god, okay, <laughs> you really want you're gonna do this to your dad?" 
and we literally had a conversation when we was 10 years old, uh, which was hard. I was like, buddy, you're going to get like, you know, because of what I do, it's going to be, yeah. you're going to be judged um, and, and it's not going to be the same for you. Um, the expectation is going to be higher and, and people are going to say things. Um, and so, and he, he, I didn't coach him at that point. He played for my, my uh, friend's team. Um, and he was one of three quarterbacks and, you know, by the end of the year, he was the, uh, the backup and he played a little bit, um, and had a blast and did really well. And then we actually moved and then, uh, started with a new organization and he had to try out like everyone else. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously he's got an advantage with honest, he was, he was into it. He was very driven with, uh, by it at a, at a young age. So like through sixth grade, I think, um, you know, he was a starter and then we actually ended up moving to Texas and in Texas, um, you don't, you don't, uh, middle school in middle school, you know, a dad can't coach the middle school team. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Here, here I am, um, you know, uh, so I've coached him maybe I think one year or two years and, uh, handed him back off to a, a staff and that was fantastic. Um, you know, we had, again, we moved into a town in Texas, which is hard to do. And, and, and he won the starting job by himself. There's no, no, like, Hey, no one knew who I was. There was no pressure yeah. or, or emphasis. I didn't work with anyone. When I moved to Texas, I really got out of quarterback coaching for a little bit. Um, and so um, he, had, he had been a quarterback in, in middle school there. And then when we moved back to Florida in eighth grade. Um, and the middle school football is a little bit different down here. So I ended up coaching again, but I only half coached him because I did the high school and I got a job at a high school. And I was coaching at a high school that he was potentially not going to go to. You know, I think yeah. people look at look at it and be like, "Oh, yeah, you went there because you wanted your son to go there." I was like, "I, I went there because my junior college roommate, um, Coach Lippo, um, you know, was a coach there and called me up and, and said, "Hey, man, can you come down here and interview for the job?" It's like I think I want to get into this. Um, and so he ended up making a decision to go to that school. And again, he had to win the job. I'm not the offensive coordinator or the head coach, so he had to had to um, earn that. Uh, I, I I didn't put any any so i think one of the things there is understanding as a coach it's like you got to let your kids still win the job um, yeah you can't you know as much as you want to control that and you know the the the, the helicopter dads whatever the snowplow parents where it's like you know let's open everything up for them um he had yeah. to earn it um he had to earn it and and even his freshman year of high school when i was a quarterback coach he was competing uh, for the varsity job that you know we went with a senior um who who earned the job and he, he, he got playing time and he had a couple bad plays and he got less playing time and, and it <laughs> sucked for him and, and, and it was difficult. And, and so, you know, um, I think you have to manage expectations. Uh, not yeah. all kids are going to go to the NFL. So, um, you know, we were very careful about our social media choices of what we did. Um, he's actually, I've had to encourage him to do more of it now because he has aspirations of playing college football and beyond that. Um, and so a little bit of branding, uh, like saying branding with your child is, is, is okay. At that point, we didn't do any early on. Um, and, yeah. and cause I just, I, I don't think it's healthy to have a, a seventh grader with, you know, 50,000 followers on Instagram, where the only thing that they can go is, you know, they, I mean, obviously they can have success, but they can also be a, you know, a, 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 a failure under a microscope, right? It's yeah, sure. like a poor kid is not ready. It's like, cool like that and ends up being sponsorships and everything but like what does it look like when your kid is not the starter are you going to transfer to six schools are you gonna like what, what are we going to do yeah. um and so they have to fail in public eye um which i don't think you know uh teenagers are ready for um and, and so the right balance of social media um 
you know, luckily he's just, he's not really into that side. He's, he's done it literally my, his mindset is like, oh, wait, you can earn money in college by having a social media platform. And so he is taking his own, you know, uh, approach to that and, and does what, yeah. uh, what he does with it. Um, and, and I'll encourage him to do things. I, I think I have to, um, as a parent, make sure he understands like, Hey, don't post stuff like this, post stuff like that. Um, that's generally been our approach and it's worked well so far. Um, you know, we'll see where it all goes, but that that's, you know, some of the advice I, I have and, and I'm dad, when we get in the car, I'm dad, I'm not, I'm not quarterback yeah. coach. Um, yeah, he, I, like even even with training, I'm like I'll I'll encourage him to like I think this would be good for you, but I don't I don't ask him to do it twice. Like if he you know I'll never be like, um, hey I, I you know remember we said you know if you don't you don't want to do it you don't do it. Like you you manage yeah. your throwing, um, you manage yeah. this. You know you communicate with your coaches. So he's got that going on. Like his training outside of it, he communicates with them. Um, yeah. He throws with his teammates, you know, we'll still do stuff together. Cause I am his trainer. Yeah, um, of course, you know, but I can't wait to not be, um, yeah. And just be a dad, you know, but uh, well, yeah, you good. and I both have, you and I both have that benefit too, where like we we work with other people. And so you have this mm -hmm. ability, you know, to work with your son, but also let the other guys that, you know, at six points with Denny and, and like your crew there and, and, and let him kind of be coaxed by them where it's not yep. always coming from you. Right. The same thing, you know, I think, I think Michael, as much as my son, as much as we'll work together, just coming out to a group session and letting Quincy and, you know, coach bees and, and the rest of our staff, you know, it, it's nice to have that separation for sure. You know, it's funny. Yeah. You talked about kind of letting the kids fail and let them experience those. I think, you know, it's, it's so my son started playing tackle football last year, fifth grade, this year was sixth grade. And just so interesting to see that environment and it's like i've gone one didn't want to be involved right and and i have to you know i didn't want to be coaching fifth grade kids and you know every night and like i just knew i didn't have the yeah. patience for it i wouldn't be good at it two like wanting him to kind of you know for better or worse get playing time not get playing time win a job not get job separate yep. from me because so much yep. of the dynamic is literally we we're in a, a rec association where there's multiple teams and and you know the the co head coach's son is the quarterback on almost every one of those teams right, right. it's like and yeah. not that they wouldn't have earned the job on their own without it but man like the perception of what that looks like right yeah um and we were fortunate i you know they do a little draft and last year in fifth grade my son went to draft to the one team who's coached didn't have a kid to play quarterback. So it worked out and he got to play. And then this year, you know, he, he got drafted by a, a coach that did have a kid as a quarterback, but you know, then the season plays out and, you know, by week two, it's, you know, he earns his role and you keep going. So I almost would advise parents, like <laughs> if your kid plays quarterback, don't be the head coach, like being assistant, kind of be involved, 100%. help out. But it's like, why put your kid in that, in that space? You know, even if it's, you know, even if it's beneficial and then he gets to play and he's the starter because yeah. you're the coach, you know, what is the long-term value of that? Um, I don't know. It's just That's so interesting truth. to see yeah. it. Right. No, it's just one year I was the head coach and that year literally dealt and he was good, but it was yeah. still like, Oh, he's only the quarterback because his dad's the head coach. I'm just That's like, it. it's like, yeah, it's like a no win situation yeah. that that kid gets put in at that point. 
Um, all right, last question about recruiting, because I think there's such a unique perspective and and every quarterback and this is their number one, you know, it's December and yeah. you know, the open period is, is back, you know, in, in play here. And so just because your perspective is not only a, a quarterback trainer who works with so many top high school and college quarterbacks, yeah. has relationships with college coaches, but then like we said, as a high school coach, as a parent of a, you know, people that don't know William Son, really, really talented quarterback in the 25 class, a kid that is being nationally recruited and will continue to be. So just give me some thoughts, some advice, some the way you kind of navigate that recruiting space, both as, you know, just a, yeah. a, a coach who has is trying to help advise 30 guys that trains with them and then yeah. your own son as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, the, it's still the most important thing is how you play the game. Um, like what, what, what is produced on the field is still the most recruitable thing that you can do, uh, regardless of, of, of anything, like how you play, what looks like on your highlights, what, what you do on Friday night is going to get you recruited. Um, one, one step back from that. And I would say that the, the dynamic has shifted in the past, like four or five years, you can throw for offers, meaning that you can perform well enough in front of a college coach now and earn a college offer. Now the value of a college offer has gone down, um, you know, with the over offering and, and uh, well, actually I take that back. It was, but now with the transfer portal, the high yeah. a real high school offer is super valuable because it's harder. The pool is larger. Sure. Um, but you can throw well enough in front of a coach to be offered. And that offer could be contingent on like how you play during the season. Um, that offer could be contingent on how you perform over the next couple of years, whatever it is, if it's an earlier offer. So, you know, my son was lucky enough to get, get some college offers. Um, and they came before he did anything that was necessarily, um, in my opinion, like he, his, his were earned by on field throwing and the potential of what he could be. Um, and then this year he had enough game film to kind of, back up like okay this kid is is you know can produce did have a sure. great season um is a good quarterback so so from that standpoint um you can throw and and throw very very well and generate interest and excitement um amongst college coaches uh, and be recruitable it's so contingent on if you're a good quarterback or not um and then you know and again like like uh, part of me you know maybe it was my ego or whatever it was you know but like i was determined um to make sure that we did it the right way with him in terms of I wasn't um I, I know what what truly because there's also we're in the world of like handlers that give out fake offers you know that like you know, on behalf of universities just gonna offer what they want because they're they're controlling other kids behind the scenes there's a lot of that you can get involved sure. in that if you want to and you can buy offers you can um but it's embarrassing when you can't commit to any of them um, yeah. It's embarrassing when you get beat out in high school and you have 15 offers that are all fake. Um, and so I think keep it because it doesn't change the end game, right? The end game is that you find a school that you can fit into, whether that's Tulane or UTSA or Alabama or, or Georgia, you're going to you're going to end up being where you most likely should be. Mm -hmm. um and 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 over committing to a school you probably don't fit at is being you know we're super aware like my kid's going to be six foot one um 
you know, maybe he gets a little bit tall, maybe he gets 6'2". I'm tall. Um, but let's say he ends up being 6'1 at the end of the day, you know, 195 pounds, 200 pounds. You know, that might not mean that Alabama is going to be an option for him. Cool, whatever, um, with the style of player he is. You know, you're going to look at the the draft coming up here in a couple of months, and there's a ton of guys that are going to be from – you know, there's a D2 quarterback right now that's going to be uh, – it's got a senior bowl invite, you know. Yeah. It, it, that It's going to get drafted, uh, Tyson Badgett. Um, and and so, you know, I – it's really cool to have a kid that plays at a big program. I've been around a lot of families and, and been close to a lot of people where their kids are at, a, you know, a star at a major program where they're a national powerhouse. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is getting on the field and that path um, – you know, it could be a number of different directions. Uh, you know, like Gardner Minshew is a great example of a guy that went junior college and walk on and and scholarship and junior college and here and there and and then you know now it's a, a, a an NFL uh, potentially an NFL starter somewhere. So sure, you know, having the right expectations, uh, finding the right fit, um, understanding that the college recruiting is difficult because of the, the, the portal, you know, the less offers are going out to kids at kind of that second echelon of, of cues. If you're, if you're a top five kid, you're going to go where you want to go. You're going to dictate your terms. Um, but I think understanding that early is, is, is um, important. You got to play the game a little bit. I was really anti like promotion um, yeah. just on principle, but unfortunately it's, it's, it seems that, you know, you need to have a little bit of exposure out there to generate some interest and excitement um, you know, to, to, but you, I think you do got to do it tastefully and, and you got to make sure that they're worthy of being recruited. Um, that's probably my, my thoughts on it. it. It dawned on me that, you know, I keep referring to, uh, your son is that's Will's son. So to give Lachlan his credit, you know, <laughs> Locke's dad from here that's on out I can't wait for the podcast. Yeah. Right. But, um, yeah. so it, it would just say patience is one of the hardest pieces there. Like just to try to stay missing out. the process and, they're, they're driven by like what they're not doing. So they, they think they need to be doing more. And the fear of that missing out drives a lot of decisions. Um, it's okay to sit to your, your junior year in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and some guys will sit to their senior year in high school. Um, depending on what state you're on, that, that doesn't, doesn't change how you're being recruited. Keep development the main focus. You know, yeah. um, don't, don't get caught up in, in the um, you know, over-promotion of, of your kid. Don't make them fail on a stage that's too big. Um, and then try not to control their, you know, every move and every step, you know, make sure the narrative is 100% driven by you. Um, I just, it ends up going, you got to let them earn it. You got to let them fail. Um, you got to, man. And, um, you know, there's perfect examples of that every year in college and, and, and where guys implode um, because of what was, you know, done before them. And if they're good, they'll play. Like, I, I, it's very rarely the coach's fault. They're not trying to not play the best kid because they're going to get fired yeah. if they don't. So, you know, politics are probably 5% true, half, you know, most of the time. So, you know, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Cool. I mean, obviously, as always, I'm going to just give your phone number out to everybody at the end of the podcast. Please. But, you know, um, if coaches wanted to find you a different way, yeah, talk to me like absolutely. you know, uh, you know, give us everything because I know you're down there in Jacksonville area with yeah. six points. So kind of talk to us about six points. Talk to us about QB Collective. Talk to us about yep. you know where to find you on Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of cool stuff. Yeah, so at Will Hewlett on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you know, I'll probably be posting more stuff uh, this year. We're we're rolling into our draft prep season, so down here with uh, six points and and Torque Sports Performance, um, we've got a. Uh, group with Denny Thompson, Tom Gormelli, um, and and we've got 
our nice little crew. We're getting ready for our draft prep season. So um, that's going to be exciting to see who we land. And and uh, I'm sure if you stay tuned, you'll see some pretty, pretty cool stuff there on, on that side of things. Um, and then, you know, QB Collective, um, obviously the coaches agency side with Richmond Flowers has grown to be, you know, um, you got Mike McDaniels and, and a bunch of other great head coaches and, and yeah. coordinators that are making waves across the country. That's been really fun to see um, on the, the the camp and training side of things. Got some things in the work where works that we're looking into doing. Um, you know, we kind of took a year off this past year, so we're kind of potentially doing some other events and stuff. But um, yeah, come check us out in, in Jacksonville. Um, I'm going to open my, my training schedule up a little bit more this year. I've, I've really kept it just for college and pro guys the past couple of years work with a little bit more high school guys, do a couple more events. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to shout out. And um, it's going to be a really good off season. No, of course. I got, you know, I obviously I, I've known Denny for years, known you for years, kind of follow what you guys do down there. And, you know, I know, you know, people are all over the country, but what's cool about what Six Points has is they're down there where you guys go on vacation, where you go to the beach. Right. And so they're always yeah. doing things like, like over Christmas, they'll do little two, three day camps. They'll do it over the yep. summer where they'll have week long. So, you know, maybe you don't live near Florida, but you know, you're going to go there on vacation at some point this year, you know, a good time to get some of your quarterback development and go see Will in person and Denny and the whole staff there. So cool stuff, brother. Awesome, I appreciate man. you as always, dude. We'll talk soon. Well, you guys did it. You made it to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening along. I had such a blast talking with Will. You know, it's funny at the end of the podcast, I was thanking him for being so generous with his time. And his response was, man, I love this stuff, right? Like just talking quarterbacks, talking development. If you're listening to this podcast, I know you feel the same way as we do. So thank you so much, not just for listening along with this episode, but supporting the podcast in general. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes from season one, Trust me, go back and do it. There's so much great stuff there from the initial episode with Will Hewlett to Quincy Avery of Quarterback Takeover to Darren Slack of National Football Academies, David Morris from QB Country, and of course, Dub Maddox with his R4 football system. Just so much great stuff. Really proud of what we put out there in season one. So if you haven't yet, please go back. And if you really feel generous, Please share the podcast, spread the love to interact with myself or the podcast on social media. Go to Twitter and quote tweet the episode with some thoughts of something you heard. Go to your IG story, maybe cut a little audio clip from the podcast and post that in your story and tag me. Uh, That means a lot. Like I said, I'll be looking out for it. Can't wait to interact with you guys. I'm easy to find QB Coach McAvoy on Twitter, on Instagram. The podcast itself, Quarterback Q&A Podcast on Instagram, QBQA Podcast on Twitter, easy to find as well. We'll be putting up different clips from not just this latest episode, but ones from the previous season as well. So thank you so much. Can't wait to talk to you guys soon. I got some great guests lined up. So enjoy the holidays. Talk to you guys.